The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Whether it's the brain or the soul or both that are the seats of our consciousness, psychology and spiritual understanding must both be employed in the search for the meaning of NDEs. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Accounts of near-death experiences have been streaming by the thousands during the last few decades from people who've had them. However, the grand design of what happens when we die may only be revealed by connecting thousands of NDE accounts like a jigsaw puzzle. In his book, Psychology of the Near-Death Experience, Dr. Roy Hill roughly sketches God's canvas by integrating hundreds of NDE testimonies within the context of human psychology. As an inquisitive psychologist with strong spiritual roots, Roy's book mixes academic curiosity with a deep reverence for the sacred. Dr. Hill earned his bachelor's degree in psychology at the University of Arizona and his doctorate degree in clinical psychology at Nova Southeastern University. He has worked as a psychologist in corrections, both as a clinician and supervisor for more than 20 years. Following several life-changing experiences, Roy delved into the topic of NDEs, resulting in his book, Psychology and the Near-Death Experiences, Searching for God, published by White Crow Books. Roy lives in Colorado with his wife and son. Roy, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. Um, Roy, I understand you haven't had an, ex- an NDE experience yourself, uh, but tell us, how, if you would, how you got interested in the topic. Well, Lee, I've always been interested in near-death experiences ever since uh, Raymond Moody's book came out. However, that was only a passing interest until more recently. Um, about 11 years ago, I was working at a correctional facility, and I had an inmate uh, who I had on suicide watch. And I had talked to him um, and put him on watch because his sister had passed away in an auto accident. So after a couple days on suicide watch, the inmate told me he was better because the sister had been talking to him. So I um, took him off watch, believing that this was not a normal psychotic process, but rather something perhaps different. I talked to him the next day, and he said he was still doing well, and he said he was still talking to his deceased sister. So I asked him what uh, she was telling him, and he said that she believed that I did not have faith. She had a message for me, and that is, you do not have enough faith. And so for you to believe, she had a message for me. And, of course, my skin was um, getting all goosebumpy at that point. <laughs> and I uh, asked uh, him, well, what is her message? And he said, quarter. The quarter? Like quarter of what? A quarter of the coin? Order of, of something filled, I wasn't sure. He says, I don't know, I'll ask her. So he kind of sat there quietly, and he came back and said, look, she means quarter the coin. 
I didn't know what that meant. Interestingly, the next person I saw came and asked me, do you know what's written on a quarter? And I said, in God we trust. And nobody had ever asked me that before or since. So I knew that it was a declaration that I didn't have enough faith. Talking to him the next day, I um, asked him if, if uh, he had any other messages from this person. He said, yes. She, she said that your wife is pregnant, you're going to have a son, and he'll be born on Christmas Day. Well, the first two things came to pass, uh, but the last one didn't seem to, because my son was born on January 7th. Um, now, 11 years later, that had really bothered me, thinking, well, you know, everything else seemed so rational. So on a, I realized that this was an issue of faith, that one, there was a declaration I didn't have enough faith, and two, um, there was a test of faith. I thought, well, if this is a test of faith, then maybe I just need to believe that my son was born on Christmas Day, even though obviously he wasn't. So with this leap, I looked on the Internet and saw that there were a lot of um, Christmas Day Googled on uh, on January 7th. And it turns out that we are using the um, Roman calendar. But there's a Christian calendar called the Gregorian calendar, which the Orthodox Christians still use to this day. And Christmas Day is January 7th. <laughs> so with, with that, I learned um, that there was something going on that was not part of my understanding of the spiritual realm growing up as a Baptist. Uh, that there are spiritual beings out there. And knowing about near-death experiences, I decided to explore. and start. So I began to have a voracious appetite to read more and more near-death experiences. And everything came by uh, very quickly and came together like a jigsaw puzzle. And um, that's how I became interested. Wow. So it really wasn't uh, so much a near-death experience as a communication from the other side that really triggered uh, this interest. Um, when you uh, talk about fitting the pieces together to get a comprehensive view of what um, dying really means, how, how, how successful do you feel you've been in, in finding the pieces that, uh, that you need to get a complete picture? Well, in human terms, I think I've been quite successful. And really, I don't want to give the credit because I'm only reading what the divine has revealed to us through people or ambassadors from the other side, people who've had near-death experiences. So I don't want to take credit in the sense that I'm creating something new, uh, but I do view that uh, I, I have learned a lot as God has chosen to reveal to humankind. Uh, now, if God is infinite, how much of that infinity do we really understand? How many Bibles would it take to uh, explain the infinity of God? A trillion? No, it would take more than that, um, because God is infinite. So I don't pretend to have most of the answers, but uh, certainly I have a, a more of a key understanding of what's going on because of these ambassadors. You mentioned the Bible and the fact that you were, I guess, raised Baptist. Uh, yes. Many many of the um, basic 
Christian beliefs hinge on the Bible, and uh, many of the more fundamental groups have decided that the Bible is the complete source of spiritual truth. Whereas NDEs would indicate that uh, that communication that created the Bible is still going on today. Um, is there some way of um, uh, putting it all together the way the Bible puts one picture of uh, the afterlife together? It's it's a not a clear picture by any means from the Bible, but uh, is there? Could you conceive of there being, uh, for instance, an NDE based Bible? Ooh, that is a tough question. Um, I would be cautious in making a Bible. Um, I think that all these different ideas and revelations need to be written down. I'm not sure the world needs an NDE religion. Um, I, I really think that religions have a very powerful uh, force in, in humanity. Um, but when you when you create a Bible, then what a lot comes with it is, is, is doctrines and rituals and beliefs that may be set and inflexible. And really what I think the ND needs to do is to be flexible, to add, to allow for no more information. So once you codify something as a Bible, uh, I think unfortunately um, you develop a man-made system uh, that can that can uh, serve all sorts of human motivations, if you will. So I'm a little reluctant to say that we need an NDE Bible, but certainly I do believe that we need to be studying NDEs and documenting what they say, try to integrate it, try to understand them, and then try to apply it to our lives to learn how to love. Hmm. One of the objections I hear from time to time about NDEs is it's only the very first um, instance of what happens when you've crossed over that you're able to report on because, of course, a near-death experience implies you're being sent back. So um, you're only getting a, a hint of what's in store for us when we die. Um, yes. Does, do you think there's... That does, do you think that diminishes to any extent the value of that first view of the other side? I do not, Lee. Um, I believe that uh, the NDE is being uh, used uh, for the divine, for God, uh, to convey new messages for a new generation. Jesus served that purpose 2,000 years ago, and Jesus still serves that purpose as uh, today, from 2,000 years ago. Uh, but also, I think there's a new type of information that this generation and this time of history uh, needs, especially since we're standing on a precarious cliff, I think, as a species. And I think God is using the envy, this is just my personal opinion now, uh, mm -hmm. to convey new information for a new age. And I think people are coming back with the information that God wants us to know. I don't think we have to know everything about heaven uh, to to convey the important critical elements that we need to, to learn. Uh, have you taken a look at uh, distressing NDEs, those dark experiences that people sometimes have, and uh, worked that into your... Uh 
into the puzzle as well? I have. In fact, there is a whole chapter in my book called Lost Souls. And having worked in a prison system, in prisons, uh, even for 20 years, dealing with different security levels, I'm well-versed and understand uh, psychopathy, uh, which is a high level of criminal thinking. And my view of that is that uh, hell is, is a real place, but it's not exactly how we usually think about it. Um, rather than God punishing people uh, when they go up to heaven for their misdeeds, uh, I think we take ourselves with them, uh, ourselves with uh, up to heaven. And what happens is, is that some people are so inconsistent with God and the source, it would be like oil and water up there. Uh, the psychopath is extremely disruptive. They enjoy disrupting organization and the good. And so such a attitude and perspective would only be disruptive in the, in, in the spiritual realm. So in a sense, they choose to reject God and they go to a separate place that's without God. And they create their own type of environment, which is a hellish environment, just because they're manifesting what's in their soul. And I believe, based on a lot of indie experiences, uh, including George Ritchie, I think had a very compelling story about it, but others as well, that um, they can leave any time, but they choose not to. They choose not to look at the light. And uh, many Indians say that there is a host of spiritual beings above hell ready to take people out if they only look and want to go. Howard Storm, for instance, had a hellish Indian. Yes. But he remembered Jesus, and he asked to be lifted, and he was immediately, he was taken from that environment immediately. So I don't believe in hell as an internal environment, as a punishment, but rather as a place that people choose. Hmm. So psychosis, you think, is seated uh, not only in the brain, but in the, in the soul as well. It's something we take with us after we die. Uh, psychopathy. Yes. Not, not psychosis. Uh, psychosis is a, a mental illness where people can't, determine right or from wrong. Really, um, uh, psychopathy, another word for antisocial personality disorder, but really uh, what I mean there is your most criminally-minded people, people who don't have the capacity to have compassion or caring for other people, uh, that they're completely self-centered, and they use other people for personal gain, uh, they lie, uh, they break rules, they break laws. And, uh, and they do so without remorse. And there's usually a sadistic element, too, where they enjoy inflicting pain for people. These are the types of folks that are inconsistent with, with a heavenly experience. So how do you see uh, consciousness and um, behavior, for that matter, sorted out between the brain and the soul? Okay. Well... You know, for for a long time, throughout many different religions, um, there was a belief that there was a body and a soul. 
but nobody really could describe what a soul is. And I think based on near-death experiences, we can say something about that now. When people die, they bring their consciousness with them, and their experiences are downloaded into that consciousness. Uh, so I believe that consciousness is actually is our soul or part of our soul that as human beings we can access today. So if you want to see your soul, just think about your own self-awareness and bingo, you got it. And really, why do I say that? Not only for I say from a near-death experience, but but neuro, um, neurologists and other neuroscientists have not been able uh, to find brain correlates for the soul, for, I'm sorry, for consciousness. Um, you probably have heard of Ken Van Lomo. He's done a lot of work in near-death experiences. He's a physician. Yes. He writes, the, the, the current concept in medical science is states that consciousness is a product of the brain. This concept, however, has never been proven. And, and I think that's very true. I mean, if you think about vision first, if you look at, let's say, the color red, okay, so you can measure how that color goes through your optic nerve and through your brain and back into the visual cortex, okay? So you can understand how that occurs, much like a computer. But you can't explain the experiential quality of the color red. In fact, if you were to describe read to a colorblind person, you wouldn't be able to do it because it is a function of consciousness or soul. And so that's what I believe um, uh, what, what soul is. Um, mm. It's really uh, uh, conscious now. Soul, I believe, is much more than that as, as well. But that's the part of, of soul that we can tap into most easily or see um, while we're living in this body as human beings. So uh, I would add one, one thing to this is that, uh, you know, the mind-body thing, well, how can a soul be integrated with the body? And that, that's a tough question. I don't know the answer, but I can again give an analogy. In the brain, you have a right hemisphere and you have a left hemisphere. And their functions are pretty much redundant. Uh, meaning that they, you, you kind of have two brains working at the same time, but you don't experience it as two brains. You experience one brain. And the same thing with consciousness and, and body, soul and body. Even though you have the physical aspect, as even Alexander said, a reducing valve, you still have the soul in the background, which is quite man magnificent and much bigger than we know because of the reducing valve of the, of the brain. There have been some some speculation about uh, consciousness is actually existing outside both our brains and our souls. That there's some sort of a akashic record type thing of something in the cloud, if you will, the spiritual cloud from which we draw our consciousness. Have you have you thought about that at all? Yes, um, I wouldn't call it a spiritual cloud. I would call it the spirit. Um, and really what the soul is, is the project projection of God consciousness. If you think about what people say as God creating everything and God being in everything, when Jesus said, I am the Father and the Father is me, the, you know, what does that really mean? 
And I think when we say that, that Jesus, Son of God, but then and also in the Bible it says we are sons and daughters of God, of God. What does that mean? And a lot of NDE people say there's a unity, that we're all one. What does that mean? It really means that even though we are we are gifted with free will and our own identity and independence, our consciousness, the soul, like everything in the universe, derives from God. That is my belief based on reading a lot of near-death experiences. Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist uh, from, from Freud, he, he wrote basically the same thing. And I can read a little quote from him. He says, the unity of God, he says stone, but it means God in one soul. The unity of God in one soul is equivalent to individualism by which we are made one. So as individuals, we are not God, obviously, but our consciousness is a small part of God's consciousness. So really, what does that mean? That means we are truly heirs to the kingdom, in my opinion. Uh, and a lot of Indiers say that there's a tapestry out there, that we're all interwoven. I really like that metaphor, or that when I'm... When, um, uh, like a spider web, other people will, will say that as well. So that tapestry means that we're all interconnected in our consciousness. So yes, um, I, I would say uh, the short answer is yes to that question. <laughs> if we're all so interconnected, what does that say about free will? Well, that, that, that's a tough question, and I haven't quite figured that out. A lot of Indiers say that, um, and this goes to another topic called time, uh, when uh, people who go to heaven, uh, they say that there is no time in heaven, and I actually disagree with that a little bit, but I understand their perception, because time is relative time up there, and it's a bit of a singularity, so you can kind of know the past, present, and future at one time, it's kind of looking like a, at a loaf of bread. You can cut the loaf of bread. If you imagine time as a loaf of bread, you can cut it in different points and take a look at it. So when people have life reviews, they they explain that they lived, they saw the past as as if they were living now, and also looking at future hypotheticals as if it was actually happening. So um, basically, with this happening, then um, um, you know we can we can understand. Uh, um, how things are going to unfold. At least spiritual beings can. Human beings can. And there's a good reason why we can, because we're supposed to, to have free will. We're supposed to learn from our experiences. Learn through adversity. We need to make our choices. If we knew what every choice was going to be, we would always make the right choice. And what, what are we going to learn from that? So really, Earth, I think, is a school. We're on school Earth here. And so when we look at uh, uh, time, uh, really we're talking about the heart of your questions in terms of free will and determinism. Yes, in a sense, things are known, but they're not determined because God gives us free will. Also, NDEs say that we chose our life before we were even born to learn the things we need to learn. So in a sense, uh, things were kind of determined, at least basically. But within that kind of framework, we are allowed to make a lot of decisions within that, a lot of choices. But we have amnesia for good reason. That way, to us, we are actually making the choices. So some of our free will, 
some of our free will may exist before we're even born, and we select uh, a path to follow uh, that would limit our free will, but it was a free will choice to begin with. I, I had another question. Um, the the prisoner who was speaking to his sister that you referred to, now she was on the other side, apparently operating in in a time period uh coordinated with uh with her brothers and with yours for that matter yeah. uh, do you think that uh once we're on the other side we can step in to time and then out of time again wow you know i don't know the answer to that question uh, i pondered that question uh but i really haven't read anything that would say that spiritual beings can go backwards or forward and, and, and step in. Um, so that is an excellent question I wish I could answer. Uh, I do know that on rare cases, spiritual beings' guides are allowed to intervene in very overt ways. Um, and uh, But even, even, the, even if they're not allowed to, I mean, the reason they're not allowed to very often is because Free will needs to be preserved. And if a spiritual being comes in a grand entrance and says, do this, well, that's violating free will. However, spiritual beings do, I think, very frequently, if we're open to it, not just in very gentle ways, through a, a thought or a feeling or some synchronicity in an environment. I, I think spiritual beings do do communicate. And I would, oh, and I would add dream uh, to that as well. So I think there's a lot of intervention, but to answer your question about can they go backward and forward in time to intervene, I don't know. Well, I wish you had an answer to that one because that's one that, <laughs> that, that comes up in my mind quite a bit of the time. Um, I, I, yes. Just to get off to a, a slightly different uh, track here, um, in putting the pieces of the puzzle together, um, Paul, uh, St. Paul, when he referenced his own NDE, talked about going to the third heaven. And some yeah. religions actually do talk about uh, different levels of heaven. I know the Jehovah's Witnesses talk about three different levels of heaven. Um, do you think that the NDE experience will give us a picture of different levels of heaven as well as uh, all the other information we're getting? Possibly. Once in a while... I see a vague reference to different levels of heaven. So I haven't really formulated that well in my mind yet. And I don't know if the specifics are, are revealed in, in great detail. Um, my sense is, is that uh, there's a, a vast complexity on the other side. Um, and I, I think that complexity relates to spiritual maturity. Um, I think we are all equal and souls in, in the sight of God. Um, I'm equal to you and equal to Jesus in terms of value because we're all part of God, but not in terms of authority or ability or mission. Uh, so, you know, does that correspond to different levels of heaven? Uh, perhaps it does. Do you think but, uh, we're given do you think once we're we've crossed over to the other side we'll be given responsibility or the opportunity for further growth? Oh, absolutely. Um, eternity is a long time. 
And remember, eternity goes in both directions. And so this lifetime is um, very short, and I believe we're here on Earth to learn. I don't know what it looks like, but I do believe that our learning continues uh, for a very long time, for a very long time to come. And what type of venues or, or responsibilities that we're going to have in the future, I don't know. Uh, I do know that we're going to have a lot of responsibilities when we die. Uh, a lot of people say that some people who have struggled are mentored by advanced spiritual beings. Others serve as spiritual guides for loved ones. In fact, most, most spiritual guides are, are deceased family members who are, are helping. Uh, and uh, also there are many spiritual beings that are involved in the running of the universe. Now, God can do it all himself, but God chooses to share existence with, with everybody, with all creation. And uh, so I think there are a lot of different tasks uh, up there in heaven, and I don't think we're going to be sitting around on clouds playing harps. Roy, unfortunately, we are we are out of time for today. Uh, how can listeners okay. get in touch with you if if they have further questions, and and how can they get your book? Okay, well, thank you for asking that. Um, my book will be coming out in September sometime, and uh, of course, it will be on Amazon. Um, it will be on through the um, White Crow Bookstore. Um, you can also. Uh, purchase it or, or look at my own website, and that is uh, near death expsy dot com. And right. once you're there, uh, you, there's a whole lot of cool quotes you can read. There's um, there's going to be up, a list of upcoming events. Uh, there's a place where you can. Email me and ask a question, and Great. Uh, I'd be happy to get back with people. My thanks to Dr. Roy Hill for his fascinating research on the big picture meaning of NDEs. I hope you'll be able to come meet and talk with him at the upcoming IONS conference in San Antonio. If you'd like to listen to this show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANS, please check that website at IANDS.org. There will be information on that site about our upcoming Labor Day weekend conference in San Antonio, Texas, on NDEs as Rites of Passage. That's from September 3rd through 6th. Um, The doctor will be there, and I look forward to seeing uh, all of you there as well. So thanks for listening.